This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust. You are listening to our podcast about land, water, culture, and conservation in northern New Mexico. Brett, I can also take off this jacket. Would it make you uncomfortable to take that jacket? No, no, not at all. <laughs> it's the puffy rustle, you know. We're sitting here in uh, one of the offices at the Taos Land Trust, um, and we're sitting here with masks on, all, all of us and our sound engineer, Brett. So that if we sound a little odd, that's, that's, that's why. We're all masked up and COVID safe. The Taos Land Trust and Vista Grande High School have joined forces to provide fresh weekly produce to Taos families school food delivery programs, and local food pantries while offering paid technical training to Vista Grande students. The project is funded by the Vista Grande High School's Career Technical Education and Community Schools grants. The program takes place at Taos Land Trust's Rio Fernando Park, the 20-acre public space created by the Taos Land Trust in the center of Taos. Today on our podcast, we're going to talk with Corbett Wicks, the Vista Grande High School Sustainable Agriculture and Leadership Teacher and Mentorship Coordinator, which is a killer title, and Amanda Flores, the Vista Grande High School Community Schools Coordinator. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Corbett, why don't you start off by telling us more about the program that the Taos Land Trust and Vista Grande uh, High School are doing here at Rio Fernando Park? Yeah, awesome. So um, we had a sustainable agriculture program start up next year through our career technical education program. So it's about um, teaching students the science of farming and agriculture, but also the politics and economics of it and how it fits into the local economy. And so after the pandemic hit, we had some extra money in the budget from trips that had to get canceled and stuff like that. And we were able to team up with Taos Land Trust to actually have a hands-on farm experience. You know, before we had an agriculture program, but no farm to go along with it. The goal of the program is is teaching the basics of farming skills and the science of agriculture. Um, our students aren't necessarily interested in, in going on to be farmers, but, but we're teaching all aspects of careers within agriculture. So it's not just how to go be a farmer, but it's food production, manufacturing, processing, selling of the food. So um, really showing students the whole gamut of where they could find careers within um, the broader food system. Um, but it, it goes beyond that too, to teaching just employability skills in general. So conversation skills, learning how to ask questions, um, communicate with adults, learning how to be responsible when it comes to getting to work on time or um, taking ownership for being late, that kind of thing. So our students aren't necessarily looking to be farmers in the future but um, we're helping to expose them to the range of different career opportunities within that field. And how did this program originate? Vista has really been, recently got the Career Technical Education Grant and Work-Based Learning Initiative Grant, WBLI. Um, Those both happened last year, and those fund um, classes and learning opportunities and internship programs within specific fields, one of those being agriculture. And that field was identified Um, through student and family interest surveys. And uh, it was identified along with construction and Adobe as areas um, that are of high interest to our families. So that's why we built up this agriculture program and are continuing to work to build it and keep it going. And Vista Grande is a, it's a charter school here in Taos. And how many students are there? Numbers are a little lower this year. I think we have about 70, but normally it's between 80 and 100 students. Local charter high school, yeah. 
Amanda, do you have something to throw in there? Well, I mean, I guess the background of Vistas that it originated, I think, is an expeditionary school. So I, I think we've kind of moved away from that model. But Vistas philosophy is about being very hands-on, about really working in a way that's focused on getting students out into the world, engaged in their communities. And so this program feels kind of, this collaboration with the Land Trust feels kind of like a natural outgrowth of those things and encouraging students to think about their relationship to community, think about their futures in a healthy way and not just kind of be in the classroom. And I, and I think that's a huge part of what Corbett's been doing with the students and with the program. So, And your role, your, or your title is community schools coordinator. What, what does that mean? What is community schools? <laughs> yes, community schools uh, coordinator. It's very uh, vague and broad title, but... Um, it seems big. It seems big. It feels big. Community schools is a program through the public education department. So there's state funding that we've received. Last year, we got the planning grant. There's phases of the grant. So that first year was all about just working with the community to understand their needs, understand gaps in resources, do... Um, asset mapping, understanding what kind of assets exist in this community, and then really asking the question of what what is the school need, but also how can the school be a hub of resources for families and students in the community as a whole. So um, this year we have an implementation grant, which is um, actually taking all the feedback we got and implement, implementing programs. So that's what we're working on this year. It's a $150,000 grant that we're really excited and honored to have. Um, but the community schools program as a whole is really like a shift in, in looking at education. It's not just a school implementing programs, but really taking education into this more regenerative system and not just being a place where students come to get a diploma and receive knowledge and facts and go on to get a career, but making sure that students have all of their needs met. And that could be mental health, physical health, emotional health, access to food, um, access to more after-school programming, access to being engaged in their community, and really thinking about the entire person in the context of a community and how the, that really relates to the whole well-being of a community. So it's really a big paradigm shift, and we're trying to communicate that more to people. In In this asset mapping and looking at holes in the community, did you find that food and food security was one of those issues? Yeah, definitely. That was a question we asked. Um, there was, we asked about the, what kind of programs parents and students would want through the CTE and the work-based learning initiative programs. And a huge thing that came up was um, culinary arts. And we were like, well, we can connect that to, um, you know, Taos Land Trust and having this um, this property to work with. And, um, also, you know, just being in an area where there is a lot of low income families who, um, don't always have access to healthy food systems. And so, um, there is a, there is definitely a need for, for more access to food and, and having food be available to people. So we, we definitely did find that as a need. And then going back to this question of like this, there's all this food coming out of the garden. And I have to say, it's pretty impressive how much food is coming out of this garden. So it's just going back to food security and food in the community. How, do we know how many families approximately we may be serving with this program? It's probably hard to tell. It is hard to tell. Uh, the original structure of the program was, was really the food we're harvesting this fall. And we're about to have some really big harvests coming up we're all gonna to go to the school lunch program. Right. And that has sort of shifted with schools not being open at the moment. And, you know, we want healthy, nutritious food 
not just going back to families, but going into the cafeterias where a lot of food is packaged and wrapped in plastic and comes from all over the country. Uh, so right now we are giving food to Vista families on Thursdays for pickup. And we have maybe 10 to 15 families come by each week for that. Um, some will come religiously every week. Some of them just sort of pop in every now and then. We just got a scale, so you know we'll start being able to quantify the amount of food that we're giving away. Okay. But it, it's a hard thing to quantify. I mean, and a big part of the, the program is education and the impact we can have on these students' lives or just being able to spend time with them in a different setting that's not this traditional teacher-centric classroom. Um, but out here, it's about the kids. And I think, at least for me, the biggest impact and the impact that matters is that of the students that are out here working. Give, being able to give food away is like an added bonus, but you know that's that's an impact that's really hard to measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, did you have something to throw in there, Amanda? No, I mean, yeah, I was out here a couple of days volunteering with Corbett and some of the student interns in the summer, and yeah, just being able to watch them interact and harvest things, and ask questions, and you know, seeing you, Corbett, just be like, well, tell me about what you know about what we harvested, what do you remember, and them sharing that knowledge. And and it's just so much different than being in a classroom and, you know, having those things presented on a screen. And so it's just like an embodied form of knowledge that I think Corbett's able to do in this classroom that is the garden, you know. And so I think that is, that's the value and that's the assessment that you know, Vista is going to focus on moving forward is how, how are they taking that knowledge, be able to like apply it as well and share it with themselves, with their families, with the community and all of those right. things. So I just observed that when I was able to be here. So let me throw you this big question, because we've discussed this before in, in this context is what, what is the point of education? <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's a great question. I think there are infinite answers to that question. <laughs> I think we're all learning all the time, but I think you know, coming from like the community school's perspective, education is a, a communal way of being together. It's um, it's allowing people to take what they're interested in and further that knowledge um, for their own well-being, for creativity, for community well-being, for creating solutions to systemic issues that we have in this country that we're living in, creating more equity. And I think, you know, we all know that education you know, came from a really industrial, industrialized perspective of, you know, factory working. This formalized education that we right. have grown up under right. or in. To maximize profit. And that's the world we live in. And I think for me and from the community school's perspective at Vista, it's about um, having students feel that they know who they are, they know what their gifts are, and that they can apply those to the world in a positive way to create positive change. And to feel happy and well and to create something beautiful in their lives um, versus just getting a diploma, going to whatever, you know, job, making money. And so that's the narrative that we've had collectively as a society. And I think at Vista, that's something we're trying to change with this, this way of learning. So. And Corbett, how would you answer the same question? What is the point of education? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up sort of the distinction a second ago, because I think that there's schools and then I think that there's education. And I don't always think that those go hand in hand. And I think sometimes schools can even hinder education or take it in the wrong direction. And I think when education gets institutionalized, um, there can be a lot of damage and risk that goes along with that. And it takes away from the genuine 
authenticity of learning, learning how to ask questions, learning who you are as a person um, within a broader community. And I think that's what's really important. And I think what we're doing at VISTA is, is taking education out of the schools as much as we can and de-institutionalizing it um, by being out here on the farm, by being out in the community. And um, you know, if we can get students to ask questions, to wonder things, to learn how to be curious, um, that's, that I think is sort of the overall goal of, of education. So, so in one, one sense, I, there's two things that really stood out for me is one, getting the students to know themselves and who they are and their value. And then two, learning how to learn or teaching how to learn, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's getting those foundational skills where you can then pursue your own interests once you leave school. Right. Um, and you have a solid foundation on which to have conviction in what you believe, be able to defend what you believe, and then be able to go and act and live by those beliefs. Yeah, I, I found like in my education and life career, like, you know, you go from, you, you study for one thing, but then you end up doing something else. And then after a while you switch to something else and something else. But we're, we're kind of brought up in this groove of where everything's linear and you're just going to go out and then you're going to have a, a job as whatever, a therapist or a historian or a plumber. Then that's really all you're going to do. And it seems like this, this way of educating that you guys are talking about can give, I guess, more confidence and ability to, to navigate a, a fluid system instead of just graduating and making widgets. Yeah, I mean, in the early 1900s, John Dewey referred to schools as um, institutions for social reform. And somewhere along the way, that got very lost. <laughs> but I think that they could have the opportunity to be that again. And I think getting students involved in the community and seeing beyond school as this four-walled classroom um, and test taking and memorizing things that you then promptly forget um, and taking it to broader issues that are relevant to the students' learned experience. I think maybe once again, schools could be a place for social reform right. or to inspire change. Right. Well, and in this time period where we are in already, I was going to say entering into, but obviously we're, we're in it, um, of, of climate chaos, climate change, and massive shifts in the way we're going to do everything, the ability to be flexible and, and adaptable is, is super valuable right now for, for young people, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know what's going to happen after everything that's going on with COVID and the world. And that adaptability is, is really important. We're having to experience it in real time. So. Yeah, in real time. And, yeah, yeah, it's so. crazy. So, well, so how has COVID changed education? How, how has this, you know, I think we, we, we definitely look at, see a lot of the negatives of, you know, kids not being in school, parents not being able to work, a lot of kids... Um, who don't have internet or computers or things like that are um, are getting left behind. But and and I want to discuss those. But what are also some of the positives that have come from this, especially for for the way Vista Grande teaches? Yeah, there have been so many changes, and and I actually do feel really positive about what a lot of those have been. On an inst, there's sort of institutional changes, and then there are also changes in how we're actually teaching and interacting with the kids. And I just, before we get into the institutional changes, I want to touch on that for a bit, because 
education has very much shifted from here's this huge list of standards you have to get through by the end of the year, go, 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 um, to, hey, here's a couple standards, maybe focus on them, but also really check in with the students and see how they're doing. And it's, there's a really big focus now on social, emotional health and learning. And, and that's all fresh since March? I mean, that has always been a focus of the school, but since March, it's been even more of a focus. And we want to make sure our students are healthy and safe and secure where they are. And, and that is very much the number one priority right now. And then any other sort of learning goes behind that. But the focus is, is on the students, really. And, and that's really good to see. And has this change in like, you know, maybe not holding everybody to the state standards um, I mean, there were even before COVID came along, there was already this questioning of like, oh, should we even be doing that type of thing? But has it been at the state level or at the local level where that's kind of loosened a little bit more? Yeah, it's loosened a lot at the state level um, where they have very much cut down on the number of standards a teacher is required to meet in the given school year. There's also changes to um, the testing expectations and also how the extent to which teachers are held accountable for their students' test scores, um, which gives students a lot more, or teachers, sorry, a lot more autonomy and the ability to be professionals and to do their job and with a little bit more creativity. <laughs> yeah, speak to that more because that was actually my next question is how does, how has this changed the way teachers are treated, especially as professionals? Teachers have been really boxed in the past 20 years and, and um, so how has this maybe freed you to do your job better? Yeah, yeah, I would say, well, I definitely haven't been teaching for 20 years, but really ever since No Child Left Behind, um, yeah. really increased testing and standardization protocols and held teachers accountable for student test scores and um, the amount of money schools got. Teachers haven't had much autonomy or the ability to be individuals within their classroom. And that was already starting to shift. And the pandemic has just sort of been another push in the direction of limiting that freedom for teachers. And the autonomy is huge. I mean, it's it's not inspiring to go into a classroom and be told this is exactly what you have to teach today. It's not inspiring for the teachers and it's not inspiring for the students. But if you can go in and teach to your passions and teach to your students' passions and experiences, it's a whole new ball game as a teacher. It's actually fun again. <laughs> Yeah, and again, going back to my, my son, you know, he went to a, a charter school here that was very rigid and very structured early on, and he was just bored out of his mind and couldn't stay focused and couldn't stay out of trouble. And when he got into the school he's in currently, the teachers had more autonomy, he had more self-direction for his learning, and he's thrived since then. So I can really see that that can benefit a lot of students. Hi, this is Christy Nortez, Executive Director of the Taos Land Trust. For 30 years, we've been keeping working lands in working hands. To do that, we need your help. We need your cash. Please donate at tauslandtrust.org slash donate. Thank you. This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust, and we're here with Corbett Wicks and Amanda Flores of the Vista Grande High School. And we're talking about the cooperation between the Land Trust and Vista Grande on a emerging farmers program and growing food for the Taos community. Let's kind of look at, so we've kind of talked about how this crisis has created some upsides for the educational system, especially where you guys are at, but let's also, I want to kind of also dive into some of these downsides. Um, I mentioned a, a little bit of them, but um, you know, 
like we know just that this crisis has kind of brought to light a lot of the inequities, the inequalities, the injustice in, in our overall system, be it healthcare, food distribution, um, education. So how do we make programs like yours and a switch in the overall way we do things going forward, especially till this crisis is over, if it's ever really over. But how do we make these, these programs inclusive and equitable to people? Sure. Well, one thing that immediately comes to mind, and it's, um, there's other facets of an answer to this question too, but um, charter schools offer a lot of really great opportunities for students. And one issue that they've had ever since they started up in like the 1980s, I guess, it wasn't all that long ago, is scalability of the programs. I mean, one of the really big benefits of something like our program is having really small class sizes and the students know the teachers really well and you get that one-on-one relationship. Um, And it's really hard to scale that up. So how do you ensure that all students are getting that opportunity or learning about the opportunities charter schools offer or have the transportation to access those opportunities? I mean, there are a lot of equity issues that come with that. And um, the scalability is, is an issue that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> so scalability, you mean uh, taking it out to the larger community, bringing it, making it larger while keeping it small in a way? Yeah, yeah. So we, we know that having greater autonomy and flexibility that comes with charter schools and also having small class sizes, those are both really beneficial things for students. And that's something that, that is really hard to do on a larger scale because, I mean, if you had instead of really large public schools, a whole bunch of small public schools, I mean, then you have a whole lot more um, cost of running those buildings. So it becomes a lot more expensive and therefore not feasible, at least with the current amount of money we're spending on education. The the current priority funding that we place (laughs) on Within the current system. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah, how do we be more inclusive in, in in a changing education system? Or maybe the question really is, is kind of like, what's your vision of how we could better run our education system? Well, I think I have problems with the word inclusivity because it denotes that a certain group of people are in control, which is true, (laughs) and have access to more resources than others. Um, So I think one of the things about community schools is that it's co-creating amongst all community members um, and creating that equity and not just including others. So I think that's one thing, but as, yeah, I mean, I had a coordinator call with the other three other community schools that are in Taos County, which is um, Enos Garcia Elementary School, Penasco Elementary School, and um, Taos International. And one of the things we talked about was like, hey, what we're hearing from families is, I don't have money to pay rent. I don't have money to pay my electricity bills. I don't have access to internet, you know, all these things that are huge inequities that we know exist in our world and our society in Taos, but that we have not yet come up with solutions to um, address um, and to create and promote equity around. So I think, you know, we're as coordinators at, a, at community schools just facing these huge issue, issues that we're like, how do we come together and solve these things? And yeah, we don't, we don't have the answers to that yet besides, you know, putting gathering that data, putting pressure on the people who are elected officials to, to make those changes to support people in this time. But um, yeah, I think it's just understanding those patterns of inequity um, and that have really been brought to the forefront with, you know, with 
COVID and just seeing that, you know, so many of our students are like, I don't have internet and I need a hotspot. And even then like a hotspot isn't enough. It runs out of time or whatever and all those things. So it's like, yeah, I I think um, maybe not so much inclusivity, but, you know, redistribution of resources to people who need them. And that, that's like a huge, 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 right. huge topic, but, uh, that, that's sort of like, yeah, I guess my answer to that question. When you're, when you say the community schools and there's three community schools in Taos County, is that like a, that's an official designation? Yes. So there's four of us. We're one of the four. Okay. Um, so yes, it's just anyone who's gotten received the funding from PED. Okay. All right. So that is an official designation with the funding. Yes. Okay. That comes down to that. Okay. Okay. So Corbett, I'm going to throw this to you. Be visionary. What would an ideal or much improved, let's put it that way, maybe not ideal, but much improved education system look like in Taos County? Like, let your dreams run wild. Well, you know, I think that's interesting because I I think one of the most important things is letting teachers let their dreams run wild. And I think that that comes down to letting teachers be professionals, giving them autonomy, giving them flexibility, which we have already seen a lot happen this year um, with flexible work hours and stuff like that. I think if teachers are happy then they start to do things that they care about and that passion is is evident in how they work with kids. So I think that's a really big thing. I think small class sizes where teachers can actually know each of their students, not just their names, but what kind of music they like and, you know, why they chose that pair of shoes that morning or whatever it is, I think those are good connections to make. Um, And then I think a student-centered classroom is really where things should be. So You know, we've talked about student-created curriculums, um, students being on councils to make help and help make leadership decisions in the school or decide how to run the farm and um, plan the planting calendar for the next growing season. Anything that can put students in leadership positions and designing their own learning, I think has a lot of authenticity. And then also, you know, I've mentioned this, but getting the students out of the classroom and into the community is is something that I do really think it has more value. I mean, learning comes when someone can relate the information they're getting to past experiences. Um, Either they say, hey, that supports something I've already experienced, or hey, that contradicts something I've already experienced. Let me think about that and, and how it relates to my world. And so anything that can relate learning back to the students' worlds, I think is gonna have a lot more value. The, the, the issue of standards and measures, uh, productivity, all of that is just something that you constantly, constantly hear when it comes to school systems. And that's how we're going to pay teachers. And that's how we're going to assess success. And I'm just really bothered by that. So, I, so I'm kind of looking for, it just seems such a narrow way to define success, right? Productivity or or if you can pass this, this multiple choice test or whatever. So I kind of want to go back to that question. I, I understand the standards have been relaxed. I can see that they might come back at a, at, a, at a later date. But so my question is, is do standards measure what kids are actually learning? I don't think so. I, think I, think, so. I think they measure what students are capable of temporarily memorizing. Um, and, and that doesn't mean anything. It's a really big challenge to figure out how to quantify qualitative data um, because the things that really matter, um, the social emotional skills, students' ability to think critically, to reason, to ask questions, um, to feel good about themselves. Those are all things that are really hard to measure changes in over time. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of work that's going into figuring out good systems to do that. Um, There's rubrics. 
uh, surveys are another good way to sort of measure changes in that um, more qualitative data. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that standards are the answer, and, and the science shows that they don't adequately demonstrate students' knowledge. Again, having had kids in school, I also feel like those standards have been held against teachers when the reason a certain student might not have passed may have nothing to do with what's happening in the classroom, but maybe has something to do with what's going on at home or otherwise. And so that kind of goes back to, to your, your guys' point of, of building this social, emotional health among, among the students. Yeah, I think it's important to add that VGHS is part of a, a community of practice around doing al al alternative demonstrations of competency. So n having students graduate with um, showing their learning in, in different modalities um, and presenting those. And we have that flexibility as a charter school, and that's awesome. And so, you know, showing how they've engaged with the community, showing how they've what they know about themselves. Um, and how do you do that? The way that we've been doing it right now is through um, what we've what's called a passage presentation. So they um, there's a, a group of community members that come in and the students create they're seniors at this point in high school and they've created a project that's self-driven that demonstrates their knowledge about something that they've chosen to learn more in depth about. So they talk about what they've learned in that, the project that they created, and then they reflect on their entire education at Vista and not just their papers and test scores and all those things, but what they feel like they learned in those classes, what they learned from their peers, what they learned from doing things like being out on the farm or going on wilderness trips, um, how they, what they know about themselves in terms of their social emotional well-being, and so it's really exciting to be a part of that community of practice to to be in those conversations of like there's other ways for students to show what what they've learned and how they learn. Um, so we are, we are part of that and, and, and doing that and part of a community that's learning how to measure those things. And I can jump in with a specific example. Um, we have one student who's a senior this year and she has decided for her senior project, she wants to put together a community-based cookbook that will have um, recipes um, using fruits and vegetables that we're growing here on the farm. Um, but also each recipe will come from a um, community member within the school and will also include a story of um, that person's history and culture and what that recipe means to them and their family. Um, so it's, it's sort of blending this knowledge of food here on the farm with culture and community. And so through her passage, she would have the chance to reflect on that project and what it means to her and what she learned through the process of putting it all together. You know, th that seems to have even more value because to value to the community. Um, earlier in the summer, we were talking about, you know, a lot of people don't know what to do with fresh vegetables, right? So maybe in, in the delivery of vegetables, we should include a recipe or something of this week of whatever we're getting. And it seems like that kind of project from a student is not only super valuable to that student, but then could be you know, given out to people who are give or who are getting farm produce, so that they could integrate that into that food into their way of being. It just seems like it has multiple levels of value. Yeah, and I think far more so when it comes from a student and when it's student driven. Um, I I don't want to be the one to tell people what to cook with the food that they take from the farm, <laughs> but when it's student driven and motivated and 
based on connecting all these different communities that we have at school, I think that's a pretty powerful thing. Amanda, switching gears just a little bit, you, at some point this summer you were wearing a t-shirt that said um, TEK, Traditional Ecological Knowledge. I wanted to squeeze that in here too. What, yeah, t talk about that. Um, yeah, well, I think in one of our conversations we were talking about, I guess, sort of how science, the scientist community is now coming around to the fact that indigenous people have uh, a depth of knowledge about ecology and food systems and how those things work. And the label that they put on it is traditional ecological knowledge. And so I think, you know, we're moving into a time where Western science's lens is sort of catching up with the indigenous people's knowledge from all over the world and understanding its value in a different way. Um, which comes back to, you know, what we were talking earlier about things being nonlinear and, you know, learning from observing and interacting with the world. Um, and, you know, I think all of those are important things to honor and um, to uplift and to um, integrate into education. Um, and definitely as a focus for VISTA, we also have the Indigenous Education Initiative, which is also funding from the state to to learn about the history of indigenous peoples and also honor the background of all peoples and know that all people come from a background um, that they can learn about and study and integrate into their to their lives. So yeah, I think um, it's it's really great that Vista can do that um, and to to honor the land and acknowledge the land that we're on. We're on the land of the Red Willow people of Taos Pueblo and to um, incorporate that into how we do everything in 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 our education here and with the farm and all those things. With regards to this program at Rio Fernando Park, um, what do you guys envision for the next 10 to 12 months? Well, a lot is up in the air right now and we're just needing to be really flexible. Um, I, I really value having this opportunity to work with the land trust and I'm really looking forward to when we can get classes out here. That was one of our big goals. It's, this would be right. the outdoor classroom for our agriculture program and for biology class when it fits in or chemistry, physical science to really have classes be outside and hands-on. Um, and we're still waiting for that to get the green light and, <laughs> and have that to be able to be part of the vision. But in the meantime, it's continuing to keep the farm going, which, you know, Sometimes there's not so many hands around, but, but doing what we can. And, and we've got a greenhouse we're putting up so that we can extend the season. So do you plan to, to grow stuff as late as possible this fall? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, we've, November, we've got some starts that are ready to go into the ground. And, and you know, we're, we're limited right now because we don't have students and we don't have extra hands. So, you know, we're trying to balance keeping things going, but with one of the big goals is education. So mm -hmm. if students aren't out here, what does that look like? And right. um, I'll be making little videos where I can to share with the students. For people who are planting at this time of year or want to plant at this time of year, what what should they put in the ground? Oh, boy, you're going to test my... <laughs> yeah, I'm going, test, I'm going to test you out here. We're, we're at, uh, what is today, September 8th? September 8th. Well, um, I mean, it's great to already have some things started. Um, so right now in our uh, little propagation house, we've got some lettuce and kale and arugula, and we'll get those going in our greenhouse. There's a lot of plants that can do really well in colder temperatures, and especially if you can um, keep them covered. At night, at especially. Night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can do a lot and you can really extend the season. Spinach, spinach is great. We're gonna do some spinach this year. And we have quite a bit of carrots and beets still yes. out there. Yes, <laughs> to be harvested on Thursday. Oh, cool. So we, okay. we did our whole planting calendar around having um, sort of 
everything be ready around the same time. And, and the goal of that was to have a big harvest festival and get the whole school out here, which right. clearly is not, not going to be happening. But um, so we'll be pretty busy this week because we're basically going to do a whole school's <laughs> day. <laughs> so I wait. Yeah, a whole day with just a handful of people instead of a whole school. Amanda, what about you? Where do you see this going? What do you envision for the next 10 to 12 months? Taking into account, yes, we got to be really flexible right now. Yeah. I mean, I think from the community school's perspective, an exciting thing is just having like a cross-sector approach to finding solutions to these things. So really weaving together a network of support amongst many different service providers and bringing the community together to support people who need support and who, um, and to just come together to um, make sure that everyone's getting the resources and needs met that they need during this time. So I think from my perspective and from the other community schools coordinators perspective, it's a big task, but one that is the goal of that program is to weave together all those resources to have this like mycelium network of support that is Taos. And there's beautiful things happening here and it's just bringing it all together and creating that and uh, that network. So I think, for me, my vision is just um, a community that is is stronger and and knows um, knows its strengths and knows how to, um, yeah, how to to solve problems through those strengths. So. And do you think we're going to have the funding to to continue this into the coming two or three five years? It's a great is question. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't get as much funding for our career technical education program this year as we'd been hoping for. So we do still have some funding to keep the farm going for this year. Um, we are also hoping that we can help support the program and it can help support itself. Um, so some of the food that we harvest later this week, we will sell and all of the money that we make will go right back into the program to, oh, to keep it going in future yeah. years. So, you know, the nice thing is we're producing food and, and hopefully it can be self-sustaining as far as supporting itself. All right, I've been talking to uh, Corbett Wicks, the Vista Grande High School Sustainable Agriculture and Leadership Teacher and Mentorship Coordinator, and Amanda Flores, the Vista Grande High School Community Schools Coordinator here in Taos. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks. Yeah, thank yeah. you. You've been listening to the Taos Land Trust Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Jim O'Donnell at the studios of KNCE 93.5 FM in Taos, New Mexico. Edited by Brett Tomadin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit www.taoslandtrust.org. This is Jim O'Donnell for the Taos Land Trust. Thank you for joining us.